Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Let's go. Hey, Metalheads, uh, guess what? Once again, another week here of Focus on Metal with uh, myself and... Mm, me. That's right. He's back again. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got uh, got some great guests this week, uh, courtesy of a uh, hard-working uh, co-host over here. And we are talking to uh, Ripper as well as uh, author Greg Prado. And Two firsts for us. Yeah, yeah. You've never talked to Ripper, have you? No, I haven't. Or Greg. Or Greg, I, no. I tried to hook up with Greg a couple times. Uh, it just it just never happened. And, mm-hmm. and I know when you said you were going to do it, I was kind of uh, not thinking it was going to happen with you either. But uh, but you pulled it off, and uh, that's good. And you know, finally uh, get Greg on the show. And I mean, he's obviously he's been in a, he's on a lot of the guitar publications that I read. He's in vintage guitar. He uh, does stuff for Guitar World and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was good that you were able to not only talk to him but uh, talk to him about one of your favorite bands, Kings X. It was that's, that's interesting. Uh, he did the book because a few years ago, um, I think we spoke to Ty and Martin Popoff, and both of them mentioned that they were in discussions about doing the King's X book. And uh, Greg ended up doing it, and I, I brought it up in the interview. But um, yeah, King's X are one of these. They're one of my favorite bands. Um, you know, they've got this cult following that have been loyal with them forever, and. Uh, I, it's about time they had a book. Yeah. And the um, book's amazing. He did a fantastic job on it. He did it the way I was hoping he'd do it. He did it album by album. And he talked to the band members about each record. A little bit similar to what it, it's a, like to what we did with Ty, mm-hmm. but with way more detail in it because he's talking to, you know, we spoke to Ty. Right. And uh, he spoke to Ty and Doug and Jerry and Mike Portnoy and... I think Portnoy's in it. Billy Sheen is in it, and uh, Charlie Benanti is in it. Hmm. Um, he's got tons of musicians. In yeah. It. Um, the one name he had missing in it, and I asked him in the interview, he couldn't get Sam Taylor. Hmm. And Sam Taylor is one of these names that looms over the band. For, he's the the guru. Yeah, um, but you know, when when you asked him about that stuff too, I was actually, I, for whatever reason, I wasn't surprised that he wasn't able to to get him. Mm. I remember because there was kind of that murky kind we, of. Whoa, had, why did that happen? You know, but we, we talked. Do you remember to, we had Frank Hart on from uh-huh. Atomic Opera? Yeah, and he did their record. Yeah, um, and I think Frank said that uh, he's one unique dude. I think that's the, what he said about <laughs> Sam Taylor. That there, there's nobody out there like him. Uh-huh. Um, but he seemed to rule that band with an iron hand. I do remember uh, Ross Halfen had an article. In his, or he has a diary piece, and in, in, he he does a diary on his website, and he'll he'll post pictures every now and again from years ago, and he did one on King's X, and he said he remembers taking the photographs, and Sam Taylor was hovering around him, that he was paranoid about the band, he was overprotective, huh. um, so I think that's the way Sam was, yeah. with the band, for, and he, you know they talk about Sam a little bit in the breakup in the book. Uh, they had to address it. Yeah. Um, but uh, just an amazing, 
an amazing read. I, I finished it in a couple of days. Mm. Um, I, I couldn't wait to get it. And Greg did a, an absolutely fantastic job with it. Nice. Um, it's called The Oral History of King's X. And if you're a fan and you want to know about the records and you want to know about the band, and he's got these chapters in the end where he talks about the, the you know, to each of the guys individually about, you know, what what they like and mm. what they don't like in life. And, you know, yeah. uh, it's just amazing, mm. amazing piece of work. Cool. And then, of course, also this week, you know, we got, we got uh, Tim Ripper Owens on and, uh, Amazing that he actually even got two seconds to talk to anybody because he's got what eight billion albums coming out three. in one day. He it's, had <laughs> Spirits of Fire. Yep. He had the three Tremors. Yep. And a new Revenge. Yeah. All out one month after the other. Yeah. Which is bonkers. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is bonkers. Oh, yeah. Um I know they don't all record them at the same time, but from a promotional standpoint, standpoint now yeah. he he can the one good thing is he can do one interview and promote them all yep but then if he's on to promote one yeah what do you do do you spend 15 minutes and then one question on the others and then he could be you could be, i could be offered him for this something else yep <laughs> and i'm like oh ripper oh hi i didn't speak to you a couple of weeks ago <laughs> i was like yep yeah. <laughs> yeah so busy busy guy great singer. um fucking great singer and uh, also, uh, you know, another like really personable guy had nicest things to say about about uh, people he worked with formally. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, some of it you have to kind of go, well, you know, does he, you know, probably don't want to burn bridges and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was. I thought it was a pretty good talk, talk mm. he had with him as well. Yeah, like I've never spoken to Ripper before. Yeah, um, I would have loved to have dived in a little bit on some of the past stuff. I did ask him a little bit about Priest. Yeah. Um, based on my interview with KK Downing. Right. Um, and I did talk a little bit about playing my game. Um, if there's any albums that are... Yeah, he like, really enjoyed talking about that. Yeah, he but... He perked like, up a lot when you brought any, up the anniversary and everything. If there's any albums that are coming out that are like 10, 20, 30 years old, mm-hmm. I try and get that in. It doesn't work with everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not naming names. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, it's worked with a lot of people I've been able to talk to this year. But if I can throw it in in the end and throw a curveball in there and yeah. ask him something, because I'm sure a lot of people w- wouldn't ask him about the Play My Game album that's 10 years old this year. It's all going to be Priest. It's all going to be yeah. maybe Ingve. It's all going to be maybe a bit of Ice Dirt. Yeah, but, but again, he, he perked up. He was really beyond happy fear. to talk I asked about, him about it. Beyond Fear as well. And uh, the other part was, you know, something like that. I mean, there's definitely people that listen to the show that, you know, know Ripper from Priest or know Ripper from Iced Earth and stuff, but maybe don't even know he's got a solo album out. And they may go, oh, shit, I didn't know that. And he's got you know, go search Doug it out. on it, Doug Aldridge, Chris Caffrey. Yeah. Is Richie Cotson on it? He's, he's, got, he's got some fucking killer musicians on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and it's a very good album, too. Billy Sheen's on it, I think. No, Billy plays on everything. I know. <laughs> Broody's probably on it then. Probably Sunday is. Right. <laughs> build as build as Billy though, mm, but Ripper is incredibly busy. Uh, he's got the Dio Disciples thing coming up. He's been he's been a staple in that for years now, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, him going out and singing Ronnie James Dio material. Yep. But incredible singer. Oh yeah. Um, very guy. busy guy. A lot of albums. Um, have you heard of Three Tremors? I've heard two or three tracks off of it. What do you think of it? That was pretty good. 
Yeah. These multi-singer things, sometimes they can be, uh, you know, more style over substance. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. Um, yeah. But a lot of times you look at something like that and you'll go, yeah, it's good, but I'd rather you did that yeah. on your own. Sure. Your own album, you know. That. And But again, they've toured it. Yeah. I'm not going to knock it. They've gone out there and they've, you know, they've got in the van, the three of them, and they've and it's just a good thing of you know, okay, you might you got someone who's going to go and and they're you know they're a Ripper fan and then they go, oh wow, oh you know, I who's like these other two guys Peck? too. You yeah. know what I mean? They might yeah. know the other guys because yeah. I'm sure there's people out there that have, you know, I think we had Sean on. I'm pretty sure I you did. To Sean. I didn't. Um, but you know, they may not have ever heard of Cage, and mm. then they'll be, oh wow, check that out. So there's, a, I think, there's a good pollination in there. Um, so, you know, why not do it? So I think there's some, there's some benefit to it because they toured. Mm, they toured Europe and they toured the U.S. They've done two two stints in the U.S. Yeah. Um, be interesting to see now how many shows Ripper does with a new Revenge. Mm. Um, that's an interesting... Uh, it's an interesting way that, that that all came about because we've had James Kotak on a couple of times. Yep. And that started off as this um, this like Planet Rock thing. Yeah. Do you remember with um I think it was I think it's the same it's more or less the same lineup, but do you remember a few years ago they had all these uh bands, it was Glenn Hughes and Matt Sorum and Steve Stevens and these guys would go off to Russia and they'd play shows. Yeah. This was something like that. So they played shows for years and now they're doing the record. Hmm. And normally it's the other way around. Yeah. Um which I it's great that they finally got around to write music and, and, and record sure. it. But um It'd be interesting to see now if they do actually play more uh-huh. shows. <laughs> I'd go and see them. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, kill, be good. Fucking killer musicians. Yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe I'll have to go to Russia to see them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I'll do that. No. All right. So, so what do you think? Uh, we'll make it Richie's choice. Which thing you want to play first? The uh, talk with Greg about King's X or the thing about uh, talk with Ripper about everything else? I do Ripper first. All right. We're going to we're going to roll a little a uh, little Ripper Owens and follow that up with a uh, a great chat about King's X with uh with Greg Prado. Hello? Is that Tim? Yes. Hey Tim, it's Richie from Focus on Metal. Yes, man. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. You can probably tell I'm originally from Ireland. Um, I'm I'm curious. Have you ever played in Ireland? I have. Yeah. You know, as a matter of fact, when I play Europe, uh, my band's from from Ireland that I that I tour solo with. Oh, a band called yeah, a band called Sandstone. Okay. And uh, and they back me up, and uh, they're freaking amazing. So yeah, I played Ireland a couple shows in Ireland solo. Okay. Okay. Where where are the band from in Ireland? Are they from Dublin? No. Um. Not from Dublin. Uh, man, I can't remember where they're from. Okay, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I should really remember because I always remember the sign, and uh, I can't remember. Okay, did, and did they bring you to some good pubs? Uh, what? Yeah, I had a, a couple, but I never had a whole lot of time. We kind of it was. I think that was at the end of the tour, and uh, I think we played Dublin. Uh, somewhere else and then we just kind of did, you know didn't have really time but i did i did get a guinness okay uh when i was playing Dublin, someone brought it to me on stage so i had a nice i almost forgot and i'm like oh no <laughs> nice nice so over the years tim you played in a lot of venues do, do you have any favorite venues that you can't wait to go back and play in 
Oh, that's tough, man. There's a lot of great, a lot of great venues, really, you know. Um, mm. You know, one, one venue I've always had fun playing is uh, the one we actually played tonight. We drive, I'm in White Plains right now, but we're going to drive over to Poughkeepsie. Yeah. And play the Champs. And I like playing the Champs. I mean, it's, it's just got this, uh, this hard rock vibe to it, you know, and it's a fun, uh, a fun thing. But I, I really, there's so many all over the place, you know, it, it's crazy. I've played some super nice ones and, uh, nice clubs, nice big venues. I mean, all the way from Palace of Auburn Hills to whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, I can't really narrow it down to just one. Mm-hmm. Can, can can that affect your performance at all? Like the venue, like you, you hear certain performers say that they love playing in old style theaters that they can really put in a good performance there. But if you're in just a generic room, how, how do you not let that affect your performance? Well, I don't think it's as much that the venues sometimes as it is just the crowd, you know, when you have a crowd that's not as into it or they just, you know, they, they, they like it, but they show it in a different way. And I think that's always the hard one. I mean, you go in front of 50 people that you're just as energized and they're crazy. And it's like, man, this is great. Or, uh, or 20,000 people or 30 or 40 or whatever. And it's, it's harder. So I think, uh, I think there, it's always, it's more the people to me with, with the fan reaction of the venue. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, you could even, I mean, listen, you could go to a big place like on some of my solo tours and it might be a 2000 seater and it's, Oh my God, there's only 500 people here. It can be like, this is going to be the worst show ever. And it could be just like phenomenal. So mm. it's always, always with that. Yeah. Tim, what's the biggest crowd you've ever performed in front of? I think probably a hundred thousand. Wow. I know for sure. I did, you know, sixty some thousand with uh, with Ice Earth, and then Dear Disciples ended the uh, uh, Vakin, and it was like seventy some thousand. But I'm pretty sure, like in Greece or somewhere, I played this one festival somewhere. It's always a festival, obviously, the biggest crowd. I mean, yeah, but it was a it was a I think maybe a hundred thousand somewhere. Yeah, and when you're doing the indoor venues and. Um, one of the one of the guys I talked to a while back, uh, I, I was at a show with uh, Ralph Sheepers from Primal Fear, and huh? I was talking to the other band guys, and it was in the middle of the summer, and it was like a hundred degrees, and one of the things Ralph says that they can't do at the venue is put on the air conditioning. Now, do you, do you have some something in your contract like that? Because surely anything like that affects your voice. That the climate has to be right when you get there. I've never really, you know, I've always kind of went through it i mean i'm a, i like i like it hot anyway myself but um i've never yeah i would prefer when i'm on stage singing definitely i would prefer it to not have air conditioning blowing on me if i feel it blowing on me i wouldn't want it mm. i've never been that bad i know ronnie Dio was the same way i mean the tour buses uh, he would pretty much say i hey, mean we gotta you know or at least even in his bunk and everything he'd be he'd have it taped off so there wasn't air conditioning in it mm-hmm. i think everybody's everybody's voice is different now it seems like I'm not sure. It seems like everything affects my voice now. <laughs> and in the past, in the past, it seemed like nothing affected it. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, everybody's different. Yeah, I mean, air conditioning is a thing that uh, that definitely can affect it. Yeah. Well, what's the worst weather you've done for an outside gig? Uh, was did you ever do one with thunder and lightning or torrential downpours? I've done those, and I did one that was so cold it was. It was in like, uh, gosh, I can't. It was like I remember the name of the festival. This is a Jewish priest. And I swear it was called Party in Party in the Pasture. I think it was called. Uh, so it was kind of uh, 
I don't know, it was like North Dakota or something. I'm, I can't remember. I remember Dockin was there, and but it was so cold <laughs> that it, the, the, you know, everybody's hands were frozen. I feel worse for the guitar players, you know, but um, that was probably like the worst. And that was about 2001, probably. But obviously, we've all played in some rainstorms and things like that. But I've never had too bad of a thunderstorm. Uh, but I think that cold one was probably the worst. Yeah, you could probably put on your heavy coat anyway. Well, I always had coats on. Anyway, I, felt like, <laughs> I felt like wearing a lot more, you know, because, you know, even though you're having heavy heavy leather, if you have leather on or something, if it's cold out, that ain't going to help too much. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's hot out, you're going to sweat like crazy. But if it's cold out, you're going to be freezing like crazy. So uh, we were definitely all freezing. Yeah, yeah. So, so Tim, let's talk about the tree tremors for a couple of minutes. Um you're doing your live shows now and you, the three of you are on stage. You mightn't implicitly say it to each other, but surely in the back of your mind, there's a competitive edge there amongst the three of you that you're trying to outdo yourself each night. That'd be fair to say. Well, I really don't think it for me. Uh, I actually, right now, I'm just competing with myself. Yeah. Uh, I just want, listen, I know that if I sing to the best of my ability, it's, it's going to be really good. So that's all I'm worried about. I'm worried about just, man, come on, sing good. I've got to be honest. I like it when they're on top form because then I can cheat a little bit and say, take my part. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not really, I've never looked at it as a competitive edge or who's going to sing the highest note or the longest note or the, or who's going to be the loudest. I just want to, I want us, you know, I just want us all to sound as good as we can. And I guess if somebody has a competitive edge, I think that's good. You know, because you, you if 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 a singer wants to do that out of us, and and they're trying to blow me away or whoever, I, I'm I think it's a great thing to do if that's the edge they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, my edge, my edge is just trying to do my best. I just I just want so bad to get up there and sing as good as I can, just because I know I'm pretty confident when I'm top form. I'm pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So it must be pretty crowded on stage if all of you guys are up there for most of the set. There's, it, yeah, it is. And there's been a few <laughs> small stages. Most of them are pretty good sized stages. Like tonight we played Poughkeepsie and, and, you know, and all, most of these stages starting off at pretty good size. So we don't have to worry, but it is, uh, you just need to know how to do it. I mean, uh, when you have, when you have that, that's something you got to learn to do. We still learn to figure out where to stand at certain parts and what to do. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, yeah, we, it, it, because we're all singing a lot, it's not like one of us is singing a whole verse. And when, you know, when we're all going back and forth all night long, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. So how much room is there, Tim, for some improvisation during the set? Is Do you, is, do you more or less play the, the songs from the album the way they're recorded on the album, or do you, do you change it around a little bit at all? Well, we still kind of change things a little bit uh, because, we, you know, on the album we might go, hey, let's, let's move let's have you sing this just because it flows better if you continue to sing this part um so we still do it but it's it we still try to stick to you know not a whole we try to stick to our parts you know we try to not improvise too much because we got to harmonize and we got to do certain things so we try to stick to what the songs are like on the record Hmm. so so picking the other songs to fill out the set how difficult was that to do well, it wasn't because we really didn't want to do too many of them. You know, we're playing all 12 songs from the record. And, yeah. And, 
you know, Sean asked me what I might want to do. So I said, let's do burning hell from the jugulator CD because I felt like it was, you know, a good, a good one for me to do for my era. And, and most fans know that. And sometimes off of mine, we play scream machine from the beyond fear record. Uh, or Harry does a song from Jack Panzer. Sean does a cage song and they're both great. Uh, Sean does hell destroyer and, and, uh, and Harry does black. And then sometimes we throw in like a, a maybe a couple classics like Painkiller. We usually always do Painkiller um, all together. Now the, our own we do. That's the only time we're off stage is when we do our own songs. Yeah. And then and that's the only three. And then even Scream Machine we'll all sing together. Painkiller we'll all sing together. Sometimes we throw in uh, uh, the Sentinel. That's really all we do. We're thinking about putting in Heaven and Hell for this tour, like in the middle of the set, to kind of make it fun for the crowd. Mm. put their fists up you know but uh yeah we really focus a lot on just our stuff mm. yeah there's no shortage of songs no it isn't and I think, <laughs> you know it, it and it was my suggestion that we start throwing a few more different ones in because i think the the best part about this was that we were going out on the road playing our record and it wasn't like we said hey let's go towards the three tremors and then play you know songs off jugulator and, and iced earth songs and demolition songs you know all that it was great that we went out pushing our record down people's throats mm, I, I think it's great Tim that you are actually playing the whole thing because yeah you could have gone out and played half it and then filled it, the rest of it out with songs from your careers but in in a way it is a brave move doing that that you're going to play the whole album it is you know and listen, up until right now this will be the first time tonight that the record was actually out and we've toured because we, we toured in Europe and in October, because the record was originally supposed to come out in October, and nobody heard it. They heard a couple video things we made, and then we just toured the West Coast for five shows, and again, they heard three songs or so off of it because of the video things we made, but they, the record wasn't out. So it's kind of funny doing something like that, but you know what? It's Again, I think it, people can say it's dumb or stupid, but that's kind of, you know, you can't win, I guess, any way you do it. If we played a bunch of songs off of our past, then people will complain about that or people complain that it's all this stuff. But the good thing is it's a new band so we can afford to play new music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, you mentioned Beyond Fear there, Ripper. Um, I'm a huge fan of that record. Is there any particular reason why you never did a follow-up? Um, you know, I got busy. Then the label suggested I do a solo record instead of Beyond Fear the next time. And um, I think now it's a matter of just the cost of doing it and you know, now I'm at the point of my career where I'm not going to make a record to not make money of some sort. I can't afford to take a bunch of time off of music to do that. That's what you do. Like, Beyond Fear was done where I was trying to get something new going. Uh, I was a little younger. I had less bills. And now it's hard because Beyond Fear, there's not the market that they pay to make records now. Because I could do it with crowd crowdfunding or whatever. But again, I just... I've just never, uh, you know, people started wanting my name into it. You know, people started wanting Tim Rip Rowans. Now, we did write almost the whole record, but we didn't uh, We didn't do it. We started recording it. So, you know, I was thinking of doing a solo record, another solo record, but, you know, maybe I'll somehow do Beyond Fear again. You know, I, I, I've kind of said no to it, but it's hard. The problem is it's hard to tour with beyond fear because to take a band, to take us out on the road would, would cost us money, would Mm. cost me money. You know what I mean? That's kind of a lot of things I do solo 
or other events I do and other bands I do, I, I make them pay me a fee because I'm, cause they know this is how, how it works. Beyond fear would be mine and, you know, paying the guys and paying the expenses to tour. Uh, it would probably be a loss at the end of the day that people don't understand that they think that you just go touring and it's, you know, but it really is an expensive thing to tour. I mean, to go out on the road and the expenses cost money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it you know, so, um, but you know, I, I tell you, the, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'd mix it. I was going to do the beyond fear record, a new one, but just make it my solo record, but it would still have been the beyond fear guys and beyond fear, but maybe I'd reverse it. and Maybe I could, do a Beyond Fear record, and, and a lot of the promoters and agents and label might want to label it, you know, Ripper Owens Beyond Fear. Mm. S- you know spe- what I'm saying? Yeah. So, Ripper, speaking of your solo album, um, did you know that Play My Game is 10 years old this year? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's <laughs> pretty crazy, you know? It's unbelievable, really. And, and uh, it's amazing how time flies. And now that's why people keep saying, am I going to do a solo record? I'm like, oh, man. I can't. It's just funny. I'm so busy, and they're like, "Man," but I'm like, "Well, you know, listen." In the grand scheme of things, you just got three records out. You know, the three tremors record I didn't write on, but the Spirits of Fire record that just came out with Chris Caffrey and, mm-hmm. and Roy's and and uh, and, the, and Mark and Mark Zonder, you know, and produced by produced by Roy Z and uh, you know that one I wrote on. And then a new revenge that's coming out on March 29th with Kerry Kelly and and, uh, Rui Sarzo and James Kotek. I wrote on that as well. So people are getting records of me that I'm writing. So it's not like I've just disappeared. You know, I keep putting charred walls to the dam and I keep putting records out, you know. Mm -hmm. Yes, because I had Chris on to help promote Spirits of Fire. Um, Yeah, it's a great it's a great one, you know, and that's what's. You know, uh, it's funny because none of these records are recorded at the same time. So it's uh, the irony of the, all these record labels putting these records out at the same time might be one of the stupidest moves I've ever heard. But, uh, you know, the problem is Three Tremors was supposed to come out in October. So what happened was Frontiers probably moved this to January, February, whenever it was released, uh, February, They were, which was smart. They moved it. But unfortunately, the Three Tremors record was moved to then. <laughs> and then the new revenge, they just a new revenge was the oldest one recorded. It's actually one of my favorites too, and it was the oldest one recorded. And their label decided to put it out now. I mean, March 29th. So I don't, I don't get it. But you know, if if people are fans of me, they would get all three. I mean, it's not like it's not like getting CDs are very expensive. I mean, uh, mm. uh, you know. Yeah. But yeah, so and and Spirits of Fire is great. I mean, I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a great record. Um, I just want to ask you a question, Ripper, about playing my game. Uh, the musicians you had on that were, inc- you have an incredible list of musicians on it, but was there any musicians you wanted to get on that that couldn't do it? Can you remember? Uh, no. I mean, Wendy Deal helped get a lot of those musicians. I, I mean, obviously, I would have loved to have had like Glenn or Ken play on it or KK play on the record. Um, but I mean, the original idea wasn't to do that. I mean, that kind of ended up being Wendy Deal and the record label's idea to fill, fill it with a bunch of musicians and, and the friends of mine. And it was great because I had so many great friends on there, so many great players. And I was pretty lucky to, to have a lot of them just play, play on it. Hmm. Uh, but there wasn't, there wasn't any, I mean, it was filled with so many people. I can't believe it. You know? Yeah. I had it on in the car this morning and I was looking at the liner notes and it's like, Oh my God, he's playing guitar on this track. And is that where you originally met Chris Caffrey? No, Chris and I, 
So way back, you know, it's funny how Chris and I met. I was doing a promo trip in, in Europe for, for Judas Priest, and it was, I know it was the Jugulator CD at that time, I think. Um, and we went into this bar in, in uh, Germany, Berlin. I, I think it was Berlin. And there's the guys from Sabotage there. It was like, what the hell? And uh, they happened to be playing in town that night. So Chris and I met then and just kind of stayed in touch. And then eventually, he put out a solo record eventually. And I, we, we toured America with, uh, I did solo, I think it was a solo tour. Or maybe it was Beyond Fear. It was Beyond Fear. And Chris's solo and John Oliva uh, thing he did. So we just kind of been friends throughout the years, you know, and uh, always stayed in touch and always jammed. He came into town a few times in Cleveland. I went up and jammed with him and sang a few songs. And, you know, he came, he came and hung out with me. So we've just always been friends. Mm-hmm. So have you heard anything about potential shows with, with that band at all? Because or, or, when I spoke to Chris, it was about a month ago, and he couldn't really say anything at the time. He didn't really know. Well, we don't know. I mean, the problem is my schedule is so booked that's kind of my issue you know mm-hmm. um i have this which i have to even step aside from this because i have the deal hologram touring it's going to start up in like uh, may june uh probably be in america and, and really that's going to take up a lot of my time this year because i've I already committed to it and uh but I, I i would love to try and fit in some shows at some places again what gets it hard about this is that again people don't understand this you know, here's the thing with, with Three Tremors. All the band, except Harry and myself, live some... The band live in San Diego. They're together. They're right there. They can practice. They can rehearse. And then the only two people that's got to fly in, meet them, or we... Or, you know, that band is right there. Hmm. The problem with Spirits of Fire is everybody's somewhere else. And it's hard to get everybody together for a tour unless it's a good lucrative tour. Again, nobody's going on the road in Spirits of Fire and not making money. Yeah, yeah. And that, that becomes an issue, you know. I mean, I would do some some touring, though, and break even uh, with to push the record for a little bit, but it's hard scheduling-wise, you know. Hmm. Well, I, when I, what I mentioned to Chris, and he actually agreed with me, I think the only chance you have of maybe doing some touring on that is to do the festival circuit. You're going to have to go to Europe. Maybe so, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we, I think... I think we could probably do an East Coast run, you know, here. I think we could probably get a van and drive around the East Coast and do like a four, five, six show run. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Dio Disciples does when I'm with them, they might run. The money's not great, but you kind of get these shows in. And I think it would be pretty pretty good to do something like that. Or if we could even get on a, an opening slot for somebody else, maybe, you know. Mm-hmm. I just want to ask you... Tim, a Dio Disciples question. Um, is there any songs that you haven't done with them, Ronnie songs that you'd love to do? I'll, I, and I'll give you, I'll tell you what I'd love to hear you guys do. And I'm sure you get thrown this, these questions a lot to you. I'd love to hear you do something from like Strange Highways, the, the album with Tracy G. I'd love to see, hear you tackle one of those really heavy songs that Ronnie did. Oh, I love, yeah, there's all kinds of do, songs I'd love to do. Uh, and those are a lot of those records right there. You just nailed it. I mean, mm. um, I always wanted to, uh, I'm trying to think of a few of them that I wanted to do in the past, but yeah, there's a bunch. Every time I, cause actually I, I still listen to Ronnie's music all the time. It's one of my favorite stuff. Ronnie's my, my favorite singer. So I listen to all of his stuff nonstop really. And, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, there's a lot. I don't. Know, I can't really put it down to just one song, but um, those records there and and Magica and all kinds. I mean, I would love to do a lot of songs from that. Yeah, but with Ronnie, he's got so many good songs. What are you going to leave out? Well, he does have so many good songs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, and and singing him is is it's just such a joy to do. I mean, I love to sing Ronnie because it just it's emotional every time I sing him. Mm-hmm. So, so before I leave you go, Tim, I just got a couple of quick questions. Um, I had KK on on the show, um, and I read the book, and I did talk to him about your era in the band. And one of the questions I asked him was, uh, you know, w- would he like to see you up on the stage again for the band's 50th anniversary? And his answer to me, uh, this is literally what he said: "I'd pay and go and see that." He said, "He he had nothing." Yeah. He had nothing but good things to say about you. Yeah, listen, my time in Priest was great. I mean, with all the guys, uh, and my my relationship still is great with them, including Rob. Um, yeah, I mean, we had we had a great time. That's just funny because I could never say anything negative. I mean, I love that that kid talks good about me, but we've all talked good about each other since I left, uh, and it's always nice. And Ken supported me. He's come out to a lot of my concerts. When I get close to him, within two hours. Uh, Ken would drive out to the show, so it's, nice. it's always nice to hear stuff from Ken. Yeah, no, no, you've you've gone on record to say that you'd like to hear, you know, some of the songs from the two records in in the preset. Um, what song in particular would you like to see Rob handle from your era? Is there one song? Well, I, I mean, I, you know, it, it's it's always asked to me about this. You know, again, I it's funny. I was telling someone yesterday. I never bring up. That I like out of the blue, I want to hear Judas Priest play my stuff and the song was going. It's always asked to me, and then I answer the question. Yeah. The next thing I know, it's on the internet that Tim's bitching about Priest again. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but I tell you, yeah, I think Rob, so many of the songs he would sound so good on, and that's, you know, be nice. Really, because it was a big song live, I think Burning the Hell would be a great one hmm. uh, for Rob to do because it was one of our more popular ones. And even maybe. You know, on on um, on demolition, uh, bloodsuckers, which was about the court case that they had, would be a good one. But I think Burning Hell would be a perfect one. You know, to stick in there to show or two, just for the fact of uh, a little a little nod to that era. And I also think Rob would would uh, sing it freaking unbelievable. Hmm. I, I've often wondered why fans try and make out that there's a rift between the most popular singers and the replacements. Cause it's not just you, Tim. It, you, John, John Karabi told me the same thing with Vince Neil, that people were trying to make a, create a rift between the two of them. And it just never existed. And David Reese and Udo is another one. Like the two of them are out touring at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's not been, I mean, uh, it's always been good. And, and the last time I saw Rob, you know, he, I was standing in the corner and he come walking over me and, you know, talk to me about what's going on. And he saw that I was in Russia. And so, you know, we have good conversations, and again, I uh, I have nothing but great things to say about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so Tim, moving forward now, you're doing the uh, the new Revenge coming up, right? And that that yeah. came from the Project Rock Band that was a few years few years yeah. old. Um, do you think the Your Disciples are ever going to do any original material now? Because every other band you've been in seems to be morphing into into something that's releasing material. And Dio Disciples, you haven't actually done any original stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're you're right. I mean, there's talk about it. We were talking to the label last year, and it was going to be out. 
unfortunately, I've never been sent anything. That's the difference of like a new revenge project rock and uh, these other things. We talked about it. And then, you know, Carrie Kelly from a new revenge started sending me material to listen to and write with. And all these other guys did. I've never heard any, I've never had any ideas sent to me. I mean, we did originally, we got about three or four songs written and, and recorded in the past, but then I've, you know, I'm still waiting to hear some ideas from Craig. I know Craig got busy with you. Craig's busy as well. Oh yeah. Other stuff. But I'm just waiting to hear some ideas and have them sent to me and see if I'd be interested in trying to, uh, put some ideas down to it. Mm, mm. Well, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people can get in touch with you or the bands you're in? Yeah, well, they can find it. It's, it's really easy to, you know, all my Instagram, you can go on there. I think it's like Tim, Tim Ripperone's official, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Tim Ripperone's, everything's Tim Ripperone's. You could probably just go on those sites and find it. Friend me, get on Instagram and, 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 and friend me on Instagram and uh, Facebook and Twitter and stay in contact. All right, Tim. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, personally, thanks for the many years of great music. Really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. And if you, you got the numbers, so if you need anything else, just give me a call. Perfect, Tim. Well, have a good night tonight anyway in, in the loft, okay? And I'll see you out there. Okay. All, All right, Tim. Thank take you. care. All right, big thanks to Tim Ripper Owens for taking a little bit of time to come on, focus on metal, and keep us up to date on everything he's doing. And it is definitely a metric shit ton of metal with uh, not only the three tremors and spirits of fire, but also with a new revenge with uh, their brand new one just out enemies and lovers so be sure to uh support tim with all of his metal endeavors and uh, go pick up copies of those things for yourself and up next richie talks with author greg prado about one of richie's favorite all-time bands king's x and as we said at the beginning of the show that greg just put out his uh his king's x book it is called king's x the oral history and that is available everywhere that you uh, buy books you can also of course go up and get it at amazon they have that up there in uh, both paperback and kindle editions so uh, good stuff, 336 pages, 1.4 pounds if you're into every minutia of what's going on. But Richie has a nice talk with Greg about King's X, about writing the book. And uh, we're going to roll that for you right now. Hello? Yes, hello. This is Richie. Yeah, hey, Greg. How you doing? Hey, how's it going over there? I'm okay. So, Greg, let's get into the uh, the King's X book. Um, okay. When were you approached to do the book? How, how many years ago? It was actually me... Um approaching the band it was uh about i think three years ago or maybe two it was two it was two or three years ago i, I talk about in the um uh, very beginning of the book that there was a show i saw in uh new york city i believe it would have been 2015 and uh i've seen the band many many times over the years and uh this um particular show that was at a place called i think stage 48 um, for some reason, that show really, really spoke to me. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it was the best. Well, it was, it was certainly one of the best times I've ever seen King's X. And now, over the years, I've seen them close to about 15 or 20 times. Probably the band I've seen the most. Hmm. And there was just something about that show, just seeing that the audience was so into it, that they were singing all the words, and that also they uh, sang all the lyrics to the song Goldilocks perfectly, that uh, it really kind of struck me that I really wanted to do a... Um, book about them because a lot of the books that I've done have been about artists that I feel were uh, fantastic but just didn't get the credit they deserve. My first ever book was about Shannon Hoon from the band Blind Melon, mm-hmm. who I think, yeah, who's uh, one of my all-time favorite singers and also performers. And at the time, I don't think he was really getting the credit he uh, 
should have been getting. I mean, obviously, because he was uh, deceased, but people never really looked past Blind Melon, uh, past uh, the No Rain song. So I made it a point to do a book about that, and it seems like through that book and also the band touring now with a different singer, a whole new generation of of um, fans have been picked up, and there's a whole new appreciation of the band. So, so that's, you know, I've, I've just been lucky, you know, by doing that and also working with some other bands like the Meat Puppets and Primus. And I also did a book about uh, Kiss's late drummer, uh, Eric Carr. So, I mean, definitely it's always in the back of my mind if there's an artist that I think was really talented but isn't getting the credit that they deserve, I feel like, as a fan who also has the power of being able to write books and also articles for websites and also um, magazines. Like, I have the power to try to make somewhat of a difference. So, I uh, think yeah, that's kind of like how I sometimes look at the books I do. Hmm. Well, I remember King's X, when Out of the Silent Planet came out. I don't know if you know the author, Mick Wall. Yes. He, he had a show in the UK called Monsters of Rock. And, right. and it was on satellite TV and every week he used to do album reviews and mm-hmm. I remember he re- he reviewed Out of the Silent Planet was one of them and mm-hmm. Poison's Open Up and Say Ah was the other album so that'll tell you the, the time frame that when that album came out it right. was it was so it was so revolutionary. I, I remember putting it on and there was nothing like it at the time That, that al- it's just an amazing piece of work Yes, I agree Oh, yeah, yeah, and over the years then, I've actually, I've been fortunate enough, I actually did a two-hour interview with Ty, and we went, we, I went through the whole King's X discography with him. Now, you, uh, you, you did it on a much bigger scale than me, but right. <laughs> as a fan, it, that to me was like amazing to sit down with Ty and, and do that. Um, when you actually got the guy's to sit down and do interviews. Did, were a lot of them done face-to-face? Or did you do any of them with the three guys in the same room at the same time? No, I was going to say, I actually did none of them uh, face-to-face, although I have I have definitely met the band over the years, and I'm also friendly with them, and like now it shows, I always make it a point to see them after the show, and we you know sometimes sit down and also talk. But all the interviews for this book, none of them were done face-to-face. It was all done either over the phone or through Skype. So... Um, and also, I did not interview any of the members together at the same time. It was all uh, different, uh, speaking to them on the phone. Hmm. Why do you think they picked you to do it, Greg? Because I remember a few years ago, there was talk of uh, Martin Popoff was saying out there that he he, he he was going to go and do a King's X book as well, very similar to the one you just did. Yeah, um, I actually did hear something about that. I'm not sure why that didn't work out for Martin, because Martin is also a very good uh, writer who I'm also friendly with, and I'm a great admirer of also his books. But yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure why, because I mean, I, I know like for the past, it's like my own, from my own experience, there's been books that I've been, you know, uh, in, in uh, talks to do, and it seems like it's going to come out, or it seems like it's going to happen, and then for whatever reason, it just doesn't happen. So I'm not sure why that didn't work out with Martin, but... Uh, yeah, I'm just very happy and thankful that I was the one that got the opportunity to uh, do this book about King's X. Hmm. Now, now, when you were sitting down with the guys, um, did you do each chat in chronological order, or did you, if you understand what I'm saying, or did you did you pick and choose what albums to talk about over? Do you, you understand the question I'm asking? Yes. Yeah. Most, I would say, the vast majority was done in. Uh, chronological order but there were like for instance when i would do interviews when i would transcribe them if i saw that something was missing i would then go back and you know ask questions but for the most part i would say it was done in the uh 
correct order, but then maybe towards the end when I realized maybe there were some things that needed to be filled in a little bit better or things that we may have skipped over. Then I went back and we kind of picked and chose certain errors and kind of jumped around a little bit at that point. Mm. Was there any particular part of their career that you as a fan really wanted to get to know a little bit more about? Hmm. Well, I mean, I really am, you know, what I talk about also in the uh, book's uh, beginning is like that Kings X, I think, is one of the few bands that have never, quote unquote, jumped jump the shark, meaning that they uh, never put a bad album or did like a bad tour. I mean, even like albums that maybe aren't my favorite albums of theirs, there's at least, say, three, four or five songs that I think are really great. So it's not, it's not like a band that I can say, like there's certain bands that you can pinpoint, oh, well, this is when it kind of starts to go south, but it's never been that way with Kings X. So, but I mean, me just as a person, from a personal point of view, maybe the uh, Gretchen album, because that was when I first discovered them. I remember um, seeing a uh, great, uh, a, it was like a uh, advert for that album, and it was in like uh, Metal, it was Metal Edge and also Rip Magazine, where a lot of the top uh, people at the time, like I remember it was Vernon Reed, uh, Charlie Benyante, Kip Winger, like all these like big names at the time were uh, saying really great things about the band, so it really made me curious to hear them and that's when i saw the um over my head video being played and uh i was a very very I, I was a very big fan as soon as i picked up that album which was maybe like a few days after i saw that video and i've been a huge fan ever since so i would say probably that chapter but also i have a uh fondness for also the um dogman album that's a great album and then also by doing this book i've realized that I think if I had to pick one favorite King's X album, I would probably go with the album called Ear Candy because that, I think, song for song is just a fantastic, great piece of work. And for some reason, it just didn't get the credit and also attention it should have. But then again, you could say that about just almost any King's X album. But that album, I think, was really great. And it, and it had a song that, and, and also Ty talks about why this song wasn't released as a single in video, but if the song called Mississippi Moon was released as a single in video, I think that really would have been a big hit at the time. Hmm. It's interesting you mentioned that record, Greg, because when I had Ty on and we got to Ear Candy, and I know Ty has his problems with that record because he felt that that was the one where they were trying to push him to write hit songs. Um, right. I'd said to Ty that that was my favorite King's X record. And I also mm-hmm. said that if Mississippi Moon had been released, it would have been a smash hit. You just said the right. same thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then, and, and also by doing this book, I learned that, um, which I didn't know, they went, they, they blew the budget twice on the uh, video, or making a video for the song called Black Flag. I think that's probably the reason why that self-titled King's, F, King's X album from 1992 only had one video. Because I think if they put out a video for the song called Lost in Germany, that would have also been a possible hit as well. And that was kind of a missed opportunity as well, because I think that the band had already used up their budgets for the uh, videos at that point by doing two videos for that uh, Black Flag song, one of which was never released. So I think that was also another missed opportunity at possibly getting a a single and also hit a video. Mm. Greg, were you aware of the hatred that was out there in Europe for the band when they went on the road with ACDC? No, I was I was never fully aware of that. And I mean, although I know that they had a tough time at points, uh, Ty and also the guys talk about how they wound up winning the they wound up winning the whole crowd over at the end. So I mean, although you know that's kind of like that's kind of common. I mean, even like you know now when you go to see shows, that's that that's something that's been going on forever. That uh, people tend to not show respect to the opening band. I always, no matter even if it's like a band that I hate, I never ever boo anybody or 
you know, go out of my way to make anyone feel bad because, I mean, that's just, uh, I don't know, I, I can never see the point. And also the point, too, that people, I don't know if people are just stupid or not, but I would say that most of the time that a band is opening up for a uh, bigger band, it's because the bigger band is actually fans of that band and trying both to give them a break. So I could never really see the point in booing or, you know, doing that type of stuff with bands. And you know, that's just something that I could never really see the point of. Mm, that actually... I saw that tour in Dublin uh-huh. on the Razor's Edge tour, and they uh-huh. went they went over very well. And really? then, and yeah, and then when I spoke to Ty, and he started t- telling me about when they got to Germany and they were throwing like toilet brushes onto stage and and coins and all that, I, I was shocked. I'll be honest with yeah. you. There's no need for that kind of behavior at any concert. Yes, yes, absolutely. I yeah, agree. yeah. So tell me about the um, the musicians you got to talk about the band. Um, were you aware of all these musicians beforehand that you interviewed them and maybe heard that they were a fan of the band? How, how did all that work? Yes, yeah, some of them I knew about. And for instance, before I even started work on this book, I interviewed um, Andy Summers uh, for the website called Song Facts. And I remember hearing rumors that he was a fan of King's X. So I made it a point to ask him about King's X. And I wasn't expected with, with, with exactly what he said. He totally was saying fantastic things about the band. I think he even said that he thinks that they're the greatest trio ever. And of course, you know, Andy Summers was in the police, which I think is one of the, one, one of the best. Ever. <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, that, so, I mean, that is like huge, huge high uh, praise right there. But, um, so, I mean, I, I, I was definitely aware. I also knew that, uh, Jeff Rement from the band Pearl Jam was a, a very big fan. I've also heard that also the late, great Chris Cornell was also a fan of things. Like, so I knew that there were a lot of big name fans out there. And then also when I started working on the book, the uh, band also uh, suggested I get in contact with people. And like, for instance, I, I didn't know that Mick Mars from the band uh, <clears throat> Motley Crue was a very big King's X fan, so I was able to interview him for the book. I wasn't aware, although I know that George Lynch, it, it's now pretty much well known that George Lynch is a big King's X fan because he's, he's in a band with Doug Pinnock. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that he was a big fan of King's X since, like, I think pretty much the first album. So it was definitely interesting to hear, uh, you know, what some of these people had to say. Hmm. They're, they're, like a lot of the guys you have in it are more known for the rock from the rock world was was there anyone like in the pop world or maybe the country or anything like that that you were made aware of that you, you went after to try and talk about the band well you know um, not so much because a lot of the people that I interviewed I, I first asked the band like this person's a good person is that person a good person and, and then also they would put together lists and also send it to me um, I know after the whole book has been done and it came out, there's a band um, called uh, Nine Days, which is a pop band that had a hit in the early 2000s called, um, the song is, I think, The Story of a Girl or something like that, which was a top 10 pop hit back in the early 2000s. And I wasn't aware that they were Kings, that they were fans of King's X. And once this book came out, they made it a point to put up a tweet about how they were a big fan of the band and everything and thanking me and the band. So, if I if I if I knew that they were fans of the band, I I, I would have reached out to them because it would have been interesting to uh, hear what they had to say. I think they said that the song Goldilocks was one of their favorite songs of all time. And then also, I recently discovered uh, Doug posted I think on Facebook that he met both of the uh, Nelson brothers, which are uh, sons of the late great Ricky Nelson. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, and I didn't know that also that they were very big fans of Kings X too. And I would have spoken to them too. So. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, this is this is kind of like the same with like you know pretty much like all my books that once the book is out and suddenly people start 
fearing, saying, oh, you know, I was a big fan of the band, you should have spoke to me, or, like, things I just find out afterwards that it's just too late, but, hmm. yeah, I mean, I think, but, but still, I think I have a pretty good uh, variety of people, you know, we, we have everyone from, like, death metal bands all the way to, like, you know, hair metal bands, so it's a pretty wide variety, I think. Yeah. Did you have to uh, tread carefully when you, when you, when you talk to the guys about why they broke up with Sam Taylor? No, not really. I mean, um, we had a uh, agreement that they were going to speak their mind and then they were going to read the book at the very end. If there was anything that they weren't comfortable with, then we would just uh, delete it or we would switch it. And I mean, that, that topic, I think they, you know, just pretty much spoke their mind. They just told that they just told their side of the story. I also reached out to Sam Taylor and I spoke with him briefly on the phone seeing if he would be interested in being interviewed for the book and he, um, declined. So Mm. But um, you know, I, I think that they're pretty happy with uh, with how that whole entire you know story was uh, handled and everything. So yeah, I, I just pretty much asked the question. And I just had them talk and I just transcribed it, showed it to them, and then that's pretty much how it wound up in the book. Mm. Now, did you did you approach Brendan O'Brien or maybe Arlen Lanny to come on and talk about the records they did? Yes, I tried to get in contact with uh, Brendan, but I couldn't get in contact. I, I asked actually Jeff from the band Pearl Jam, because I know that Pearl Jam has worked with them, and mm-hmm. that led to that end. And then Arnold, um, I believe I couldn't get contact for him. I'm pretty sure I would have reached out to either Ty or you know someone to see if they'd be in, if they had any uh, contact info and hear back. So yeah, so th- th- those are two people that I would have liked to have spoken to, but yeah, just uh, I couldn't get decent uh, contact info for. Hmm. No. When I spoke to Ty, and um, we we got to to Tapehead and Manic Moonlight and Bulbous and th- those albums, it, it, he told me he he's not apologizing for those records and he never will. And mm-hmm. one one of the things I got out of the book is that all the other guys all feel the same way. They love right. those records, and that that kind of surprised me a little bit because when you look at the other records outside of those three or four, like mm-hmm. Doug Doug doesn't Doug thinks Gretchen was a ball buster to make and, and Ty loves it and but when it comes to those records they all love those records right um, yeah. did that surprise you at all that they, they all love those albums when a lot of the fans are kind of on the fence about them well I mean um, like I said I, I personally as a fan I don't think that, that they've ever put out a truly bad album and in fact I remember I asked uh, Ty if he considers Manic Moonlight to be their quote unquote Kiss music from the elder because that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> because 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 of course people who are you know fans of Kiss know that that one album by Kiss the Elder is considered there's people that love it and there's people that think it was almost a career killer. Mm-hmm. So I asked so I, I I asked Ty if he thought that that was it. I, I forget exactly his um, response, but um, for me I could see that they were trying different things. Like I know that Ty said he made it a point after the fourth album. To uh, put away, like he had specific amps and also guitars that became a signature sound. He made it a point to put those away and start playing through a uh, traditional <clears throat> Marshall amp. So I could totally respect what what they were doing that they were trying different approaches. And it also wasn't like that they were trying to score like a pop hit. They were just trying different things, you know, with like tape loops and stuff like that. But I still thought that their uh, songs are very strong. And you know, again. Each uh, King's X album has at least a handful of songs I think are fantastic. Mm. Well, one of the things I found interesting when you're on, you're talking about Ty, and you can f- agree or disagree with me, but I get an overall sense in the in the early '90s that Ty got tired of the music business. But yet, when it came to 15, he was the one that was left. 
finishing the record and the other two bailed. It was like, it was like completely the opposite. Like Ty wanted really to get out early in the 90s right. and then he got stuck finishing 15 and I I didn't know at the to, at the time how much well ha- hatred is the wrong word but they all walked away after that record and went right we're done I didn't I didn't realize that at all until I read this in the book right well yeah I mean the thing that's also talked about in the book is that uh it's not that the uh king's exercise have or I mean it's not like that they have no money in the bank but they have to like work jobs and stuff to uh to keep things going as far as their um personal life and I know that uh Jerry was playing shows on the weekend I believe is what Ty said so I think his mind wasn't fully on the band at that point and also Doug I know also uh supports himself by playing with a variety of also different projects so I think that Ty's main uh, complaint about that was because he was the only one that was maybe fully focused on making that album as good as it could be. And I think maybe the other people involved had their minds maybe like not so much on that album at that point, just because they had to do other things to, you know, pretty much make money, which I could totally understand. I can't really fault that at at all because I can, you know, relate to people have to live and eat and pay the bills. So, Mm. yeah, I could see what Ty's uh, complaint was about that. Yeah. Now, as a fan, Greg, and I'm a fan as well, um, how much of the solo stuff did you buy? Because they were releasing so much of it, I gave up after a while. I couldn't keep up with all of it. Right. Yeah, yeah honestly, I've never really um, dug too deep into the solo stuff. I mean, um, you know, it's funny because like, so fa- I would say my two favorite bands, besides King's X, my two favorite all-time bands are Queen and Alpha Soundgarden. And uh, really with those two bands, that to me personally, there's, there's absolutely no comparison when you can compare Queen albums to them, the solo albums, and same with Soundgarden, I'll always choose over the Chris Cornell solo albums, and I kind of feel that way with just about almost like any band, so I've never really dug too deep into the uh, King's X solo albums. I mean, I, I did obviously listen to them and also study them, study them while I was doing the book, but it's like kind of the same how I feel about Queen and Soundgarden. It's like when I just hear Ty by himself, Jerry by himself, or Doug by himself, I always kind of like want a little bit more. And that's because I think when you put an album or when you put a song in front of the three members of King Duck, they're going to push and pull it and they're going to make it sound like their own. Whereas just one of them, it's going to sound maybe like a little bit too much, like just like one member. And I always appreciate when it's kind of gone through the King's X blender, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Focus! Yeah, so, so when did you get a sense talking to the guys that they were going to do a new record? Because they've come out now and said that they're going to go into the studio in April. Did, did you ask ask them early on in the interviews where you're going to do a new record? Or did you just get a sense over time that they were, they were, think, they were you know, you got a sense they were thinking of doing one? Yeah, I, it must have been pretty early because I know th- it seems like throughout the whole entire uh, phone interview process that uh, they were all talking about it. And and uh, I know Ty made it you know, pretty pretty clear after his experience with the 15 record that he would only entertain that thought if uh, Doug and Jerry were going to be uh, 100% on board, you know, with uh, focusing just on that album. So obviously, I think they must be completely on board, or else he wouldn't he wouldn't have said yes to it. So yeah, from the from the best of my memory, I think it was something that was discussed throughout pretty much the whole uh, making of the book. Okay, okay, so. 
Whose idea was it to go through each album song by song by song? Oh, that was mine. Okay. <laughs> I was for that because um, some of the books that I've done, uh, we just didn't have like the time to do it. Or maybe I started the book as like a traditional book or something, and it just, yeah, we just couldn't fit it in. But I made it a point with this because I really thought the fans would like to read it. And I know that me as a fan, I you know have a lot of questions about certain songs and albums. I thought if we just went album by album, and if we had the opportunity, and since I, and of course I had, I was having the opportunity to in- interview all three original members. That it really was uh, a great opportunity to speak to them about every single song. While you know we still can, so there was no way I was going to say no to that. So I mm. thought that was the best way to uh, go ahead and you know do that while we had the opportunity to speak to all three members. The problem you have there, Greg, and you've spoken to enough musicians over the years. A lot of them, they can't remember all the songs, writing them. Right. And you, I think after reading this book, you struck gold there because the guys seem to remember every single song and when they were writing it, it was great. Right, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I do definitely have to give them credit that they all still have very good uh, memories and they still have, uh, you know, they, 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 there really wasn't a song. I mean, there were maybe some songs. I know there was like maybe one or two songs that they couldn't really remember anything about. I think Ty doesn't have any memory of what the song Prisoner is about. Hmm. But 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 for the most part, I would say almost every song they had uh, some pretty interesting things to say and offer some interesting insight. Yeah, they're they're brutally honest about some of the songs. Like if they don't like the song, they're like, I I I've no time for it. I don't like it. That kind of shocked me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, Greg, just to wrap it up, um, your favorite King's X album is Ear Candy, right? What what album do you listen to the least in their catalog? Do you think? We think the least. Um maybe 15 or the one before that. I mean, it's it's not because it's bad, but just um, I spent so much more time with those uh, previous albums, and I think that those albums really speak to me. And also, like I said, it wasn't until I really sat down doing this book that I really realized how great Ear Candy was. So, I mm. mean, those two albums, it isn't because that they're bad, because I think that there are really some great songs on them. It's just that for some reason, the earlier albums may have just spoken to me a little bit more, but, you know, again, I think that those are still great albums and I would uh, highly recommend them. Mm. Oh, there's one question I forgot to ask you, and I wasn't aware of it at the time. Did you talk more in depth with Ty or, or Doug or Jerry about David Frick's interview, the Rolling Stone interview? You seem to say that it, it was off the record and most of the actual uh, articles seem to be about that. Yeah, um, I think Ty spoke about it the most. Uh, out of all of them, and I think he, out of the three, remembered that being a change in their career as well. So uh, Jerry and Doug, I don't think, really recall that as being a contributing factor as to, you can maybe pinpoint between Pace, Hope, and Love and also the self-titled fourth album. They were still on the um, incline, and then Ty says after that, that's when you could kind of see that they started to go, quote-unquote, decline, although I don't think they personally ever really did go on a decline, but he means as far as opportunities to get on the radio and be played on MTV and your know, touring opportunities. But um, yeah, Ty, I think, probably spoke about that one the most because that was, I think, his perspective the most. And also, the more that I thought about it, I think he definitely has a pretty valid point because the song called It's Love was a, was a very big radio and also uh, MTV hit at the time. And then after that, they had a semi-hit with this song, uh, Black Flag, but they never really had anything as big or as... Uh, renowned I think as uh, it's loved after that mm. so when the book's been out a little bit now um, 
I'm sure the feedback you've been getting has been more or less positive from everyone. Were you nervous about how you think how it was going to be received? No, honestly, I was pretty confident because since I've been such a long-time fan of the band, like I really do know all the aspects of their career. They were really, I mean, I, I, you know, of course there were things that I learned by doing the book, but I had like the major things kind of mapped out as far as the arc of their career going going into the project. So. Hmm. I mean, not till I keep uh, you know pat, patting myself on the back, but usually when I take on these projects, it's a, it's a subject that I know a lot about and that I've also been a big fan of for a long time. So I do know a lot about the music and a lot about these specific artists' careers as well. Yes. So what's the biggest surprise then you learned interviewing the three guys, where you went, "Wow, uh, I didn't know that." Yeah, let me think about that. That's, that's actually that's, that's actually a good question because I never even thought about that. Like, what was the biggest surprise from doing this book? Let me think about this for a second. Um. Well, I, I mean, we just talked about it, but I, for one, didn't know how much, and, and this is especially according to Ty, how much he thought a contributing factor that that Rolling Stone article may have hurt them. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, because I never even, I'll be honest, until I did the book, I never even really sat down and um, checked out that article because I wasn't a, a Rolling Stone magazine subscriber at the time. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so I mean, I personally had no idea about that because usually when a band gets covered in Rolling Stones, that's a big, huge moment that they're being broken through to a whole new group of people. But I didn't really see it that way, and he said that that was part of it. Also, um, I did not know that uh, the label wanted to put out Mississippi Moon as a single in video because I've always thought and I've always wondered why the um, Ear Candy album never had a single or video release. And I try explaining why that he pretty much put the uh, kibosh on it. Hmm. That one I didn't know. Yeah, that 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 I didn't know uh, was was the reason behind that. And also, I don't think I knew that they uh, filmed two videos for the song um, "Black Flag" and that they had a shelved one. And uh, that, because and again, that's why I, I always wondered why that that self titled album only had one single in video. Whereas I thought if they had two singles in videos, it would have definitely helped the album. And again, I think the, the song called "Lost in Germany" would have been a great follow up single in video too. So yeah. those are. Uh, Yes, I did. Those are probably the three top things that I didn't really know or really think about until I did the book. Hmm. Well, the one thing I I really liked, and you had it at the end of the book, is you talked a little bit about Ty, Doug, and Jerry individually as people. Um, I thought that was really well done and I actually interviewed Jerry in between heart attacks so I I got a sense of what, what Jerry was like at the time as well but you really did that very very well in this book I think Thank you, I appreciate that Yeah, and, and also something else I didn't know uh, until doing this book I didn't know that Jerry had a bout with uh, cancer back in the 80s I, I, I just knew about his two heart attacks but I didn't know that he also had cancer at one point Yeah, he's been through the ringer and then some and he lost his house Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. So, so, Greg, before I leave you go, just um, tell everyone where people can get in touch with you and maybe order the book. Sure. Yeah, the best way to order the book, I would say, is through the um, Amazon website. It's available on paperback and also Kindle. And there's also been a lot of talk and questions on Facebook about if there's going to be a uh, hardcover book. And yes, there is. Fortunately, I have nothing to do with it. It's being worked out right now between the publisher, Drawbone Press, and also the band's management. And it is going to be uh, released shortly, but just I don't know the specific date, and I don't have any specific details. I'm just le- I'm letting them both work it out. But I would say just keep looking at the band's uh, websites, and they'll definitely uh, say it when it's uh, you know ready and include all the details. And as far as the uh, people checking out my books, uh, well, I-, I said go to Amazon to check out all my books, and also to see what I'm up to currently, you can go to my Twitter page, which is. Uh, 
twitter.com slash Greg Prado writer. I always post uh, my latest articles and also interviews and also announcements about my latest books there. Excellent. Well, Greg, the book is fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. Being a huge fan of the band, you did a great job on it. Great. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. All right, Greg, take care of yourself. Have a good rest of the day. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And that brings another week of Focus on Metal to an end. Again, big thanks to Tim Ripper Owens and Greg Prado for taking time to come on the show, talk about uh, their music and books, respectively. And as I always say, uh, always go out and support all of our guests. And for this week, go out and uh, get all of Tim's myriad releases that are coming out all at once, as well as Greg's new book, King's X, The Oral History. So not sure what we're going to be doing next week. We originally had a plan put together and kind of had it all mapped out for a few weeks. But then, uh, as usual, a few other things dropped into my lap and dropped into Richie's lap. And now we kind of looked at those things and thought that maybe we might have to mix and match a little bit differently than we were originally planning. So I'm not sure what is going to go on next week but guaranteed it will be good stuff but as far as this week that's it there ain't no more stick a fork in it this puppy is done so for richie myself and everybody else here at focus on metal have yourselves a great metal week and until we talk to you again next week remember focus on metal everything else is insignificant Still here? It's over. Go home.